Father, in your Son's name, Jesus, I pray for your words this morning. That those words would represent your reputation and your kingdom. That my heart would be submitted to your spirit and not grasp after my own will, but rather yield to yours. That I might announce you or bear witness to your work. May your reign increase in me, in your church, and in this world. Amen. Have you ever wondered why certain things are in the Bible? Like, the, last week we were dealing with, uh, we were dealing with uh, Leah and Rachel having kids and, and competing. Have you ever wondered why texts like that were in the Word of God for us? Just honestly, ever wondered, why is that in there? Well, let me tell you, I think I know that even sometimes the Bible describes bad behaviors, even repugnant behaviors. That's, that's my $5 word of the day, repugnant. So that we know that he can work in the lives of the people that do that stuff. Today is certainly one of those things. One of the things I want you to know as we go into the text today is that I want you to remember that the Bible does not justify human behaviors. It justifies God's behavior and his actions. And so let's go to the text. But before we go to the text, I want you to know that this is one of those texts, one of those stories that may have you wondering, why is that in the Bible? Okay, here we go. This is from Genesis 30. It's page 48 as we continue from the beginning of the Bible in this um, verse 25. Soon after Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Please release me so I can go home to my own country. Let me take my wives and children, for I've earned them by serving you, and let me be on my way. You certainly know how hard I've worked for you. Please listen to me, Laban said. I have become wealthy, for the Lord has blessed me because of you. Tell me how much I owe you, whatever it is, I'll pay. Jacob replied, You know how hard I've worked for you and how your flocks and herds have grown under my care. You have little indeed before I came, but your wealth has increased enormously. The Lord has blessed you through everything I've done. But now, what about me? When can I start providing for my own family? What wages do you want, Laban replied. Don't give me anything. Just do this one thing, and I'll continue to tend and watch over your flock. Let me inspect your flocks today and remove all the sheep and goats that are speckled or spotted along with all the black sheep and give these to me as my wages. In the future, when you check on the animals you, can, you have given me as my wages, you'll see that if I have been honest, and you'll find any, if you find any goats or without speckles or spots or any sheep that are not black, you will know that I've stolen them from you. All right, said Laban, it will be as you say. But that very day, Laban went through and removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and speckled and 
and all the goats and all the black sheep, and he placed them in the care of his own sons, who took them three days' journey away. Meanwhile, Jacob stayed and cared for the rest of the flock. So the wages, now, I know it's been a while since we talked about how Laban and Jacob interact. And the last time I was doing this, the sermon title was called The Cheated Cheater. And this time, the sermon is called The Cheated Cheater. Look, if, if turnabout is fair play, then it's the way the world works and interacts with itself and teaches everybody how to be and all those things. This is how they're treating family. If I have any wages amongst you, let me have the, the marked ones, the ones that aren't any good. Okay, but before he gets to inspect them, off they go. So the flock is perfect and spotless. So Jacob devised a scheme, because he's a schemer. Then Jacob took some fresh branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and peeled off strips to make them streaked. And then he placed these peeled branches in the watering troughs when the flocks came. And when they made it, and they made it in front of these streaked branches, I'm not really sure if this is how animal husbandry actually operates in the world. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not, but in this case, it did work. I just want to say this. Jesus separated those lambs. Anyway, they gave birth to spotted or streaked lambs, and then Jacob separated those lambs, and at the mating time, he turned to the flock to face Laban's animals, which were streaked or black, and this is how he built his own flock instead of increasing Laban's. I need to make a little point. I need to interject this one thing. When you work for somebody, it's really important to recognize that when you work, they pay you to take advantage of you. Okay, I'm going to say that just a little bit. Like, like even my own salary as a pastor of the church is so the church can use my abilities or take advantage of my abilities or whatever it is that I do. Some of you might wonder whether or not it's a good bargain or not. I'm not saying that. But even if you work at Ronnie D's or someplace else, when you get a wage, it's so that you can work and they can use your services. Not so that you can build your own thing instead of theirs. So if you worked at Ronnie D's and you had your own slush puppy machine, which is the whole reason I would go to Ronnie D's other than Hamburglar, but but slush puppies. But if but if you had your own one and you worked there, it wouldn't be your job to say, you know, the store operates slush puppies, but they cost three forty nine a piece. But I'll sell you one for two ninety nine. See, that would be competing directly with your employer and cause to be fired. Yes. 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 Okay. So now let's hear this. Whenever the stronger females were ready to mate, Jacob would place the peeled branches in the water and trough in front of them, and they would mate in front of the branches. But he didn't do this with the weaker ones. So the weaker lambs belonged to Laban and the stronger ones to Jacob. Is turnabout fair play? Right? Two wrongs make a right. Isn't that how that works? Well, he cheated me. He cheated me. 
As a result, Jacob became very wealthy in large flocks of sheep and goats and females and male servants and many camels and donkeys. But Jacob soon learned that Jacob's sons were grumbling about him. Really? Stunningly, Jacob's sons were being were mad that their dad was being robbed. Doesn't that surprise you? Right? Jacob has cheated Laban, and Laban's sons are mad about it. Huh. That's exactly how that works in the world. He has gained his wealth from at our father's expense, and Jacob began to take notice in the change in Laban's attitude toward him. And then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your father, and to your relatives, and I'll be with you. That's a repeat from um, the Jacob's Ladder text earlier. So Jacob called Rachel and Leah out of the field where they were watching his flocks, and he said, I've noticed that your father's attitude towards me has changed. Like, he's noticed I've cheated him. I've worked for your father, but he has cheated me, changing my wages over and over again. But God has not allowed him to do me any harm. So if we said, the speckled ones are my wages, and so let's leave. And so basically, he runs, and they take everything from them. It's fine with us, Rachel and Leah said. We won't inherit any of our father's wealth anyway. Can I get a collective groan? <laughs> hey, I didn't get a her wealth out of you. A collective groan. So one of the things, why is this text in the word of God? Why are we there? Look. All of us have spots in our lives that sort of feel like this, and it's kind of our job now as Christians. One of the things that happens in the Christian's life is that you, you're just like the world, and then God calls you out of that, and you, and you change. But the first thing that changes is how you're known. But the second thing that changes is your behavior. So when you're called out of that sort of behavior, you're also called to sort of stop that behavior. But God can reach into whatever little mucky pit you're stuck in and pull you out. And I'm telling you this because this is the first family of faith that we're talking about. Right? This is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God worked miracles to pull them out of the type of lives they were in, to change them, to make a family of faith out of them. And they were cheating people left and right, cheating their own family members. And an example in Sunday school this morning, Luke, what was the example? You've got to give your dad a present, so you go into his room, and you take something out of his room, and you wrap it, right? Is your dad going to be happy with that? No. No. I don't... I don't go to my wife's dresser on her birthday and take something out of her dresser and wrap it and say, happy birthday. She, it's already hers. It's not a gift. So how do we understand the Christian life? The first thing I want to say to you today is from Deuteronomy 5, 6 to 21, is that uh, we often think of the Ten Commandments as, as there as punishment. These people were bad, they need a better life. But that's not what's going on in the Ten Commandments. When God gives the Ten Commandments, he does something entirely different. 
He calls them into a life that is utterly and completely different than the way they've been living. And he does it this way. So if I were to characterize them this way, I'd say the first four are about interacting with God, and the last six are about interacting with your neighbor. So what's the first one? This is from Moses himself. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive today. At the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire. I stood as an intermediary because you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. He spoke to me and I passed on these words to you. This is what he said. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery, right? No matter how deep the cesspool you're in is, he can rescue you. You must not have any other gods before me or in my presence. It's a way to understand before me. You or or certainly not ranked higher. You must not make for yourself an idol or any kind of image or anything in the heavens and the seas and the earth and the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate this affection for other gods or idols, or the technical translation of idols biblically is not gods. I will not tolerate you treating not gods like gods, like me. Like, I should be treated. Why is this a big deal? Because if you get these first couple ones right, you're not going to have to do the last six to get by in life. <laughs> Look, if let me say this again. I, I know some of you have heard this from me. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself, as Jesus explained the Ten Commandments, Let's say, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. These commandments, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not false testify against your neighbor, you must not covet your neighbor's wife. Those become unnecessary. You don't need those. If you love the Lord your God, you're not going to do those things because you're loving him. And because of that, you're going to love the people he made, and you're not going to have to steal from them or kill them or lust after their stuff or want after their stuff or, or cheat the cheaters. Or cheat the cheaters. That's what the Ten Commandments are doing. Now, there's some other things that they do in life, and that's a different sermon, but right now, what they're doing is they're offering us a chance and a life that is different, that is free of false gods and misbehaving in the community. Wouldn't that be lovely if the community just lived within this thing and had life? That's what that's about, right? That's what Jesus is literally talking about in Mark 12, 30, when he says, out of all this, I've called you into life. You are one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And if you love yourself, you're not going to treat yourself badly. Don't treat your neighbor badly. That's what being called into life actually is, is actually to consider that because God made them and loves them, and so you must love them too. They're his. Now, 
did that, is there any um, manufacturer's little uh, statement on there, well, only love them if they love me? No, there's not. You're exactly right. There's no little, there's no, there's no uh, disclaimer on the side of the hammer saying wear gloves, right? No, it's love them. Even in Matthew 18, when, when people, Christians do something bad and they're non-repentant and, and you go to them one-on-one -on -one so you, they can be forgiven easily but they don't repent and then you go to somebody else to help and by the way, that second person that goes with them is there so in case you're wrong, too. Not just in case they're wrong, but in case, right, that's what a moderator, or not a moderator, it's not the right word. A mediator, that's right. I had the wrong statement in mind. But a mediator does is, oh, but I've got this problem between me and this person. And it's, you know, well, I'll go with you. And you say, you've done this. And that person goes, no, I didn't. And then the mediator goes, stop it to the accuser. That's what the reason of the third person is. Not that I would take somebody that agrees with me, but somebody that can hold me accountable. Anyway, so let's say they've done this thing and you go to the mediation and the church says, well, that behavior is so bad we really can't have that amongst us. Treat them like a pagan. Okay, pagan, by the way, is the biblical word for non-family member. Right? Non-Jew. Non pagans. But what does the Bible say about treating non-Jews? Welcome them in. Love on them. You're exactly right. It doesn't say walk on the other side of the street from them in case their shadow hits you. You don't want to be corrupted. No, the Bible specifically says care and woo them into it. It doesn't say, oh, put them out and keep them out. They're evil. It says Care for them and woo them. But this is what the Ten Commandments are. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself? So what do we do with this? This is the understanding of the building of a community. And in this case, I'm going to need you to say something with me. If I say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, I'm going to ask you to say, I've been redeemed. Okay, you get that? The instructions are, I'm going to say something and you're going to repeat. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I have been redeemed. Now that you know this, this is how God builds his community. This is from Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord speak out. Tell others he has been redeemed you from your enemies. For you, he has gathered exiles from many lands, east and west and north and south. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I have been redeemed. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help. They cried, and he rescued them. Later on, some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They had rebelled against God's words, scorned the counsel of the high, and that is why he broke them with hard labor. They fell, and when no one was there to help them, Lord, help, they cried, and he saved them. This is what it means when it says he gathered them he gathered the exiles. Look, 
He rescued everybody out of this cheated, cheater, cheaterishness that we live in. Or as Psalm 40 would say, he's lifted me out of the muck and the mire and set me upon the rock. I'm no longer stinking, sloshy, mucky. <laughs> yes. Some were fools. They rebelled and suffered for their sins. They could not stand the thought of food. They were knocking on death's door. Lord, help, they cried. And he saved them. This is from 17. 23. Some went off in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest sea. He spoke, and the winds rose and stirred up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens. This almost sounds like a like a Jonah moment, doesn't it? But who speaks to the stormy seas in your life? Who speaks to the stormy seas in your life and says, Peace, be still. And the storms answer. He changes rivers into deserts and springs of water into dry and thirsty land. He turns the fruitful land into salty wastelands because of the wickedness of those who live there. But he also turns deserts into pools of water and dry land into springs of water. And he brings the hungry to settle there to build their cities. This is what it means to be God's people. When you're called out of the muck and the mire and the cheater cheaterishness that we live in, you're not just called to go live that and ply that trade in a new spot. You're called to change and recognize and to say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I have been redeemed. I, I don't know. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So what that means is you've been called out. You recognize that you're essentially Jacob, Leah, and Rachel having problems with Laban and his other boys. Yeah? Isn't that what that means? You've had that in your life. And he calls you out. Now when he's called you out, he's going to call you to change the way you are. And you let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I have been redeemed. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning as we come into your presence where two or three are gathered, that we would speak your words, that we would speak and explain and encourage. Lord, help us be your people. And help us be changed. In your precious name, amen. Amen. amen.